You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us again this week. And on today's show, we have Michael Connolly, SVP, Chief Information Officer at the Cleveland Cavaliers. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here. So... You're responsible for leading all IT, data governance, emerging technology and digital disciplines for the CABS organization. And one of the key things that has really caught my attention is the My Cabs Locker. Can you explain a little bit about what that is, you know, how it was conceived um, and what it's, I guess, its impact has been so far? Sure. Um, the My Cabs Locker uh, platform is a... Um, it's a digital application or a DAP that um, acts as a storage system for our fans' NFT collection uh, that we drop over the course of the season. And it made its debut back on February 6th um, after many months of planning and um, education internally within the organization. And uh, the goal for us, to tell you the truth, was really, um, there, there were multiple end goals, but, but we really wanted to start to condition our fans for Web3 tools and capabilities and the evolution of what Web3, you know, I, some would argue we're maybe closer to Web4 than Web3 now, but, you know, the going from the creator economy to um, having blockchain-centric uh, or blockchain-oriented technologies uh, be able to provide a... Um, really a path of truth for authenticity and ownership of collectibles made for a very easy transition from a physical collectible around the sports space into the digital collectible space. There was a, a narrative that already existed and a comfort that already existed before that. But what, what's unique, you know, digital strategy in, in, in for sports teams has evolved rapidly over the past several years. And you know, from the web one side where we gave the information away for free in a one directional manner to, to what they say web two was and, and content anywhere and which eventually spurred the creator's economy and, and bi-directional engagement. We, we never really evolved fast enough to be a, a player in the game, meaning like we never protected our own channels in that process. Um, we eventually gave way to putting all of our content um, onto social networks only to be gated to have to pay to reach the audience that we built on the social networks that we gave content to in the first place. So a lot of this is, is we prepare for the future. Um, how do we prepare ourselves for um, going into a, a new day and age where there will be new tools uh, and, and more means of engagement where teams and organizations can have more control over the value that they deliver um, to, to the fans consuming content around their team. And for us, we also had to understand what, what were our fans' aptitude for NFTs and, and these technologies? Um, you know, were they ready for it? Did they understand it? Uh, was there a need for a lot of education um, or was it very, um, you know, immediate to the point where uh, our fans would be able to, to, to get it and, and participate in the process, you know, right, right out of the gates. Um, and then the last part for us is really quality first party fan data, you know, for, for enhanced digital segmentation. So, you know, we've gotten very refined in the, uh, in the sports business now where uh, segmentation uh, very, very uh, similar and, and it's been around in many other verticals across corporate business for years. We've 
we've become very uh, sophisticated in the way that we handle our segmentation and leverage the data for personalization, for marketing, for insights, uh, et cetera. And uh, really what a, a wallet is or an NFT wallet or an exchange wallet, it's a decentralized ledger for every individual on the blockchain, right? So think of a wallet in the same way you would a browser cookie. Um, it, it gives you insights into purchase behaviors, uh, individuals and, and some of um, you know, what they like, how they trade, et cetera, et cetera, because all that is publicly visible uh, on the blockchain, given the decentralized nature of the platform. Um, and, and then lastly, it's, you know, to be candid, it, it is a new scalable revenue stream with very limited overhead in regards to being able to maintain the channel. So there, there was a lot that went into the why uh, that led us to be able to build this uh, MyCavs locker platform that, um, you know, again, debuted on 2-6, ran through the end of the season, and we were really, uh, really happy with how it evolved. Uh, we learned a lot um, over the course of time, but, um, you know, from where we started to where we, end, uh, where, where we ended really gave us some great uh, insights and, and uh, you know, a path for success heading into next season. Great. I mean, that's, there you go. That's the interview there. I mean, um, got it over in one question. So some follow-ups from that though is, is, and I also just want to maybe make a comment that uh, a scalable repeatable revenue um, source was one of the last um, kind of reasons or, or um, aims out of it that you, that you mentioned, which is certainly something in this Web3 space is a lot of discussions around are fans being taken advantage of? Are they being, you know, shilled? What is, what is all this space? So it's, it's just good to hear that it's not a cash grab, essentially. It's actually going, well, what can we do for our, our fandom here? And, and on that fandom, what was the results of that? Was it, was it like, were you surprised by how many digital natives or Web3 natives that understood NFTs and then just jumped on board with this? Or was it a lot more kind of transitioning and educating fans um, into what NFTs are, you know, understanding the value, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I to tell you the truth, I think it was a little bit of both, right? Um, you, you had you've got a wide spectrum of consumers, and, and you have the the natural, you know, curious, uh, you know, crypto uh, profile where they're they're following. Um, blockchain very closely. They're the ones that hold the coins that, you know, they may wake up one day and their, uh, their Bitcoin's up 4% and they decide that they want to, you know, take advantage of the 4% and, and invest into NFTs. Uh, we, we saw some of those folks come over, which were, which is great for us because it opens up a new path to create new fans of the organization based upon how we engage with them and the value that we provide them that goes well beyond just the basketball court. But there was, there was a level of effort and education that certainly had to take place amongst the fans. And I think we knew that going into it. Um, we did a uh, art of business event that featured uh, Daniel Arsham, who's our art director. He's a globally renowned artist. And Jay Farner, who's the CEO of Rocket Mortgage. And it was, we were talking about, you know, the art of business and the uniqueness of, you know, being an artist, but uh, also running a business or being a, a business owner, but also having to be, you know, an artist in the way that you navigate around business. And uh, as part of that event, um, that would represent the top 1% of stakeholders and our corporate partnership portfolio. So these were, you know, the whales within our organization. And uh, they came into the event as part of that, we gifted uh, everybody in attendance an NFT. 
And part of the, the, the discussion, the topic of the day by Daniel Arson was talking about NFTs and the evolution of art in, in Web3. So we already had a pretty curious audience, but when we jumped into it, we, we minted these on the Ethereum blockchain and we were using MetaMask as a vehicle to distribute these directly into people's wallets uh, that we're, we're visiting. And the, uh, the eye-opening experience that that presented for us, uh, it basically said, hey, you know, the barrier for entry to get a MetaMask account opened up is not two to three minutes, right? <laughs> you know, and no. there's this very long, you know, phrase of, of terms you have to remember in a specific order in order, you know, be able to access your account in the future. So we, we knew going into it, there was going to be a curve. But what we did find is everybody that was at that event was very patient and eager to learn and understand about what it was. And so with the education um, will come success. If you're persistent enough to not only educate yourself, but also your fan base while you're evolving with them through the platform, which is why I think at the end of the season, when we looked at the MyCavs locker platform overall, we were really happy with the outcome based upon, you know, the fact that we were able to craft a, uh, you know, a, a real community of followers um, through our Discord channel, which had almost 8,000, you know, uh, folks that were active within the channel that followed every drop that we actually leaned on through crowdsourcing for uh, feedback and direction on the types of items they'd like to see us turn into NFTs. Um, they were amazing in helping support the utility that we brought to the platform for the in real life experiences and uh, really became um, brand advocates and evangelizers of the platform naturally that scaled to a very credible audience that was already established within the crypto space. So it um, a lot of learnings for us, uh, a lot of really exciting things. At the end of the day, we ended up moving you know, through a, a total, I believe we did 16 jobs. Let me do the count here again, just so I'm giving the accurate numbers. We got six, 10, oh, 15. We did 19 uh, total drops throughout the course of the back half of the season and moved uh, 3,100 NFTs and sold them. So wow. the, the quantity that was, uh, you know, distributed, uh, we learned a lot on, on the, the quantity that you need to, to mint, the scarcity you need to be able to create for secondary market movements, um, the right price points, you know, and to be candid, it was great leaning on our, our, our community to tell us, hey, you know, take it easy on us for this next drop, the last one, you know, while we were excited about putting a little dent in our wallet, but they, they were, you know, tongue in cheek working with us as we were going through creating a value and a really unique experience for them um, as, as it went throughout the season. And is that something that in terms of ROI, so how do you measure what is success on this? Because you listed all those reasons to begin with, and I, I think on some of the early NFTs that I've seen, there's a certain sense of moving the goalposts sometimes. It's either we made a lot of money or we had great fan engagement, which also um, sometimes is, a, is a, a euphemism for we didn't sell 99% of our latest drop. Um, you know, how do you actually say, yes, this is successful? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with how you go into creating your platform in the first place. Um, I think a lot of the precedent that has been established to date before we, we launched our platform would be more, ten, you know, kind of tentpole oriented or, or um, you know, uh, 
kind of a shot in the dark. You, you do something, you drop one time, you drop a series of elements, and then it disappears. And there's really nothing that ties the threads thematically through each of your drops that you do in succession outside of the fact that it represents a sports organization. So what we try to do is really flip that upside down and say, let's find a thematic and a theme that can consistently store and, and hold its relevancy drop over drop over drop that leads to tears for the individual collector to try to strive for and collect for towards the end of the season that gamifies that and gives them a, um, you know, a tier prizing at the back end for qualifying for those tiers. And a lot of this stuff, again, I want to go back and really stress and emphasize, there is a lot of precedent in the collectible space that exists today, right? This is nothing new to the American consumer. So when you're thinking about, you know, how you're setting up scarcity and how you're setting up unique pieces of content or items that would be deemed valuable, that would be in demand, you know, you've got a lot of things you can look back on historically and repurpose or, or redefine within the, you know, the digital realm that can still carry that same success over. And a good example of that, you know, one of the later drops that we did, um, we did a, a run of 225 foam fingers, you know, with the number one fan foam finger, the foam finger, but the standard, it sold through the fastest of any of the drops we did to date. And we were blown away. But the bottom line is the community says everybody holds on to a foam finger as a, as a kind of a, uh, you know, a, a, a an element of entering into fandom, right? You always remember that foam finger as a kid when you go to the ballpark. And so when, when you see those opportunities, take advantage of them, but at least have some sort of thematic that it ties it all together. And the locker did exactly that. I mean, we grew up with lockers in elementary school. We got the middle school, we had a locker. If we played sports, we had a sports locker. So the concept of storing your valuables inside something, of, you know, a that each individual person has had over the course of, you know, of their life um, also translated to something people can get easily as opposed yeah. to saying, okay, they're selling a piece of digital content and I have a digital ring. Well, what do I have beyond that? Right. Um, so it, it, if people can't understand it, it's going to be very hard to get them to buy it. Yes. That's a great point. I mean, the, the whole idea of wallets and, and taking uh, easily, tangible um, concepts from the real world or things that we're familiar with and, and then putting that um, into play. And, and on the, that actual content, so uh, the, so the phone fingers, for instance, you know, shoe, shoe drops, uh, jerseys, all that kind of stuff. What about in terms of what most people would recognize NFTs as in the sports market, which is around video and picture highlights? So that, that's where, that, you know, that's where the ownership of IP comes into play. And this is probably one of the biggest challenges that, that, that the NFT space in general faces. It's just the IP rights and who owns the IP rights around certain things. And when you think about, um, you know, the sports uh, leagues across the U.S., the professional sports leagues, each of them have a different relationship between the team and the league council, right? So with baseball, you've got BAM that represents a lot of digital interest on behalf of the teams. The NFL has their own strategy. The NBA has their own strategy with Teambo, um, which is uh, kind of representing as a liaison between Adam Silver's office and, and the teams and, and making sure that 
everybody kind of understands the rules of engagement, best practice sharing, et cetera, et cetera. And so the league looks at everything that falls within the game window. Um, that really starts from the time that a fan scans their ticket to the time they leave the venue as being IP that's owned by the league and the players. So anything that is, uh, uh, you know, a highlight of the video uh, of game action cannot be used by the teams. Um, we can't use any uh, game data that's produced uh, within the game window. Uh, and we can't we can't leverage player likeness outside of the retired players in which we have exceptions for for certain ones, which we we did take advantage of this year. So when you're presented with those restrictions and my dogs are mad about it, too. You can hear them complaining <laughs> about it in the background. Yeah, they, they want all those. Uh, they want all those current season highlights, don't they? Exactly, exactly. Uh, but when, when you put all those restrictions in play, you've got to have a unique idea to leverage. Now, now the league does allow teams to take advantage of like championship banners and, and um, you know, historical ticket stubs and things like that. But you're still really limited on what you can create and, and the, the categories that it protects really um, – mandates demands that you're really creative in the way you're thinking about your creation of nfts and and string together the narrative of what all this represents and, and why is it unique to be able to collect well collectors are are unique people right you know i'm a collector myself i i, I collect a, a variety of sports and, and other collectibles for movies etc but there's a community of people that are dedicated to the idea of collecting, to nostalgia, to memorabilia. And if you can tap into that audience authentically and be a, you know, a, for lack of a better term, a customer with them along the ride, listening to their narrative, you'd be really surprised about what you can create while everything's evolving across the web into these new channels now. And that's, uh, that's the point as well about collecting is around scarcity. That's like one of the most kind of common um, thread to run through any kind of uh, collector, whether that's a sports memorabilia or, as you said, movies, whatever else, stamps. There's the idea of um, of it being verifiable, which is obviously on the blockchain is, is very easy. That's It is verifiable. Um, but then also scarce. So if a team or an individual or a, a league go out and just sell the best highlights that they have, they're sold once. You can't right. come back a few years later and go, well, should we just sell them again and try and make a bit more money this time? It's, it's you know, you just, you have diminishing returns off that. And um, that's been interesting to follow as well, um, especially on the team side where they have that, I'm not going to say loophole, but, but gap where the league has said you can leverage your championship, for instance, or you can leverage this part of it um, is just kind of selling all that at once and then going, well, where do we go from here? Right, right, right. Yeah, and then, what if you're, you know, with a team that maybe hasn't had a finals run or a championship run that's connected with the last three generations of fans, right? It, it's, there's, there's got a, there, there, there's enough cake available for everybody to eat. We just have to be very smart about what we do to cannibalize the fan experience in the process right? It has to come through as an authentic experience. And what drives the authenticity to what you can do on the NFT side really is in the utility. And, and the, the fact of this, I think the success that we saw in moving the, the 3,000, you know, uh, 3,100 plus NFTs over the past year, 
was we we really focus on unique experiences that were tied to each of the later drops that we did. And the, the, first, uh, the first one we did was a letterman's jacket, which um, we gave away five in real life letterman jackets that mirrored that um, to uh, five random individuals that, that bought items as part of the drop. And we planted um, five golden uh, jackets into that drop. So the individuals that actually landed the golden tokens as part of their NFT purchase um, had 30 days to either hold on to that golden token, knowing they were going to get a letterman's jacket in real life on the back end, or they can post it for sale in the secondary market and move that to somebody else that may have been of greater interest while generating revenue for themselves in that process based upon what they were capable of landing. So that helped us move through a uh, you know a pretty high priced drop in, in regards to um, 150 that we sold, and we only minted 150 at 39.99. But what you got on the back end was a 400 Letterman's jacket, right? And you were five out of 150, uh, so your chances were pretty good. And, and when we took that to to our next drop around the utility, the next two that we really did were the ones that uh, really resonated the most with me and. We're lucky to have ownership that is uh, really pushing, you know, innovating around the fan experience and pushing fans to have unique game day experiences when the opportunity presents itself. So he gave us uh, his floor seats for a, a game in late March that we were able to incorporate into a floor seat drop. So we created 100, um, you know, uniquely designed floor seats. We dropped them at $150 a pop. And um, the individuals, two of the individuals within that drop got the golden floor seat that actually got a full VIP experience to the game, sitting in our owner's seats, having access wow. to the most premium bar inside the facility uh, and club that had high end food, et cetera. And then got like a nice swag bag of, um, you know, uh, items from the organization on top of that. Now, the retail value of that for each of those is $5,100 just at the, 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 the cost of the seats alone. So it, it, it's, it's the idea of layering in the, the, the desire for the, the, those behind the scenes or, or maybe the behind the lines experiences with the concept of collecting that, that was really cool. But I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the, the Wall of Honor um, utility that we did because that was, you know, we, we still have the individuals who won that coming back to us saying how unique of an experience it was and testimonials they provided to us around it. But so we, we induct every year uh, between three to four uh, members of um, the organization, legacy organization into our wall of honor. And uh, it really, it can be ownership. It could be a player that it impact a coach, you know, whoever kind of impacted the organization over their, their term and time. And the four that we inducted this year were World Be Free, who is um, widely regarded as the single player that saved Cleveland basketball uh, because of his star power at the time. Uh, Gordon Gunn, who was the principal owner, um, who actually owned the team and brought uh, World Be Free in to save the organization from uh, you know the time when Ted Stepien was owning it, which was a very volatile time in Cavaliers history. To Campy Russell, who is a player that um, still represents um, our legends and, and our alumni association um, internally today, was a great player out of Michigan, spent many years, uh, you know, on, on the uh, on the team, was an all-star. And then Lenny Wilkins, whose name should speak for itself. We created um, 
replica tiles, wall tiles of each of those individuals who were getting inducted in the, in, into the wall of fame. And we uh, minted 75 of them. And in each of those drops, we planted a golden exclusive plaque, which whoever landed that got the experience to come to the wall of honor ceremony, which was really only for uh, friends and family of the individuals being inducted in the organization. So they're the only fans that were there. Um, they got a, a meet and greet with all of the um, honorees as well as a picture. And then they got invited to a private dinner with the individual and their families before tip off that night in which they had two tickets for as well as club access. And, you know, the one gentleman who wanted brought his dad because they were able to bring a guest and, you know, just, just seeing the emotion of his dad being, being able to be that close to the players. Like when something like that clicks and you see those experiences being had for the first time by your fans in real life, it, it, it really shows that, you've got the power to connect things around unique and evolving platforms that make people's day, that makes people's months, it makes people's years. And if, if you have a way to, to be able to create this theme and this thematic and build a, you know, a new revenue stream or a new business out of it, don't lose touch with at the core of what you're doing. And that is further connecting your fan base to the pulse and the, in, in the, the brand of what your organization represents. Because those people want to be further connected than they are today. And if your platform does that, you'll have people that will be on the other end willing to buy. And, and is that something, I mean, that's, and that's a great, great uh, example, illustration there, just to say that right off the bat. But is that something in terms of true fans and this has been talked about in terms of crypto tokens is going well these people aren't true fans of the organization they just see it as an asset to trade like anything else you know it could be whatever it could be any other um uh cryptocurrency uh and they're not actually interested in the utilities is it one of those things that well when the utility is so great and you have this immersive community around it as you said eight thousand people on a on a discord um that you kind of weed out those people yeah yeah i mean you still have to provide value to your community right and you don't want to alienate those that may be interested in in participating and buying nfts but the way we set up our platform you had to be a ticket holder and be at the venue to access the drop itself oh, right? so, okay. so yeah. it, it benefited show rate and drive through now you had you had the ability to kind of elasticize that experience a little bit, you know, during the game. And what I mean by that is, if you had people, um, you know, that were uh, ticket members or other folks that were tied to the community, on the back half of that, you know, being able to provide access to the URL to eventually buy what is remaining of the distressed inventory. But there was enough to, you know, what I would say, go, go around to meet the needs and the interests of the collectors that were in venue and enough scarcity left over for those hardcore collectors that were outside the venue to all kind of blend and, and coexist together. Um, but, you know, the question of, of these, if we commoditize our teams, I think that's when it really starts to get a little challenging. And, and what I mean by that. When you're putting a, you know, a commoditized value to an organization based upon the success they have on the field or the type of roster they have on the field, that can become very volatile over time. You know, and if I was a league that was trying to 
you know, maintain interest across, you know, a multitude or say 32 different regions, the last thing you want to do is see your teams commoditized, right? Mm. It, it, it creates some challenges that, um, frankly, uh, I'm sure that the league and others, you know, within the sports space um, would want to go up against. Now, there are still ways to take that concept and be able to reward fandom by providing more influence, but tying it directly to a commodity or the potential of you can buy your way in, in, into influence, I think is a, is a bit of a, uh, of a challenging concept for at least my own taste to, to, to wrap my head around. Yeah. Now the, you know, the, the concept of fans coming over and you have these hardcore crypto fans that are coming in and buying some of these sports assets. I've got an example of uh, somebody within our community that, basically stated, I'll try to read it verbatim here because I think I've got the snapshot pulled up. At Cleve Cavaliers, I'm not even much of a basketball fan, but I have to say the way your organization has adopted these NFTs and attached physical rewards is very awesome. I live in Tennessee, but not close to Memphis enough to be a fan. I have to say after interacting with this group, I'll be rooting for the Cavs from this point on. Right. So here's somebody that didn't even have an interest, but was tied and interested in NFTs that now based upon the communal experience he had is rooting for the organization. Great story to tell, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We want to rinse and repeat that. And while I think about that, I mean, Cleveland to, to Tennessee, um, bit of a journey, but I'm thinking, uh, maybe just cause my background and, uh, you know, having a global experience is, is global fandom. Um, and looking at, well, the incredible capability of this is, yes, that in-stadium experience and rewarding those fans are actually showing up and being there, but then it's the fan that will never, ever maybe once in their life, but it would be a real pilgrimage to go see a game in person, um, whether they're in the UK, they're in India, they're in you know, somewhere within Asia is going, there's ways through this technology that you can reward them for their in air quotes, true fandom. If someone's waking up every morning and watching watching the Cavs play um, early in the morning because of time zones, is going, well, is there a way that you can digitally kind of geolocate them um, in the same way that they're in a virtual stadium in the sense of, you know, they log into, if it's the league pass, whatever, whatever platform they're using, you go, hey, this person is doing that all the time. Um, we should reward them. They're waking up at 4 a.m. They're obviously a true fan. Um, let's give them access to, to this class. I think, and I think a lot of that's theoretical at the moment um, because obviously, as you said, this is, this is such a, a recent initiative and, and even the language of how we describe these things is still emerging. But that's what I'm excited for is the ability to really just run with this and take it to, to reward fandom, essentially. Yeah, the you know a lot of this is how how do we build stronger retention with our fans as their attention continues to dwindle away based upon everything that's grabbing at their you know attention throughout the course of the day, and international fans um, and the game of basketball is being global creates a such a great unique opportunity. Where traditionally, and I, this this is where I commend the league. Traditionally, the league kind of controlled everything outside of the U.S. Right, that was the model that they had built to grow the game, and they did did it incredibly successfully. Right, they were able to build a global 
um, brand and the global game behind that. Now they're starting to come back to the teams and allowing the teams to authentically engage internationally um, with up to 10, you know, uh, you know, different countries in which we can have an impact. So if you think about, you know, the idea of directly engaging a fan in Turkey and doing it on their terms um, and the fan in Turkey, which represents probably 99% of Cavs fans across the board that will never step foot inside the venue. How can we still be able to build a value proposition that gives them as close to a real life experience as that 1% of ticketed fans that goes into the venue that spends their money on the F and B on the retail. Why can't we do that virtually? Why can't we do that in, in a means that still allows them to showcase their fandom, regardless of how far away they are. And I think the advancements that we're seeing in technology now with the unreal engine five and a lot of the rendering capabilities, you know, the, the opportunities are, are, are endless. I've seen so many unique technologies talking about overlaying um, digital likeness regionally onto a broadcast uh, that can be then broadcast back out to individuals, you know, in their lo locality. And, you know, think about you've got your in-market fans that are physically, you know, in real life sitting in the seats that are being represented to, to their regional broadcast. But, if I'm a fan watching in China, I could have 19,800 other Chinese-centric digital profiles with me overlaid on top of that same broadcast being distributed and broadcast back out to us. And there could be a push-pull relationship between those fans that are out of venue and the fans that are in venue. Mm. And the concept's not that far-fetched, right? But what uh, we're yeah. still very far removed from is getting all of the rights agreements worked out where we can innovate again because of, you know, the, the, the golden goose and all of this is the IP of the game and the video that ties to the game and the live nature of these games. And those models are changing. So as we change those models, let's think about also evolving and innovating the way we can uh, infuse technology to open up greater experiences for more people. Yeah, and as you said, it's, it's not that far-fetched. I mean, it's very common in virtual advertising is um is i guess i don't want to say old technology but considering we're talking about web3 stuff you know relative everything's relative in this but yeah it's to, the idea of overlaying um for a a different broadcast audience ads that are customized to them rather than say you know the premier league's a prime example you'd have um whatever's within 50 miles of the stadium might have advertising on the on the hoarding on the sides of of the boards and then you go well if i'm watching in in china um that probably doesn't have that much relevance for me so that's also a good segue to web3 initiatives launched or in the works what else what are we going to see next so my cabs locker that's obviously still learning and still growing and iterating on that but but what else is um is being pushed out there so yeah, I think we're keeping an eye on what's happening in the metaverse and, and that whole concept of digitizing the experience so people can infuse their digital likeness and, and have a similar experience to the environment that you know myself and all my other team members take for granted that we walk into each day and even our ticketed fans. And then how we would be able to, to, to scale and expand the individuals that have the items in their lockers, like the t-shirts, the shoes, the wristbands, the headbands, as wearables into that metaverse environment that 
acts as a token of their fandom that they can take with them and their identity as they navigate throughout the, you know, the venue. Um, and I, I've seen so many models. There's a lot of unique uh, conversations taking place, but you've got a lot of folks that are focused on building out the metaverse and getting people to buy plots of land to, to recreate in the metaverse. But you have this whole other group of folks that are focused on the experience and the idea of taking, you know, uh, music acts and comedians and, and um, you know, uh, legacy games that there's the right amount of data to be able to recreate in, in a virtual way and, and selling tickets in a virtual environment to those acts performing inside the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, you know, yeah. that is in the metaverse. And uh, while I think a lot of people will scratch their head when they, when they first hear about that or think about that, it, it's going to evolve to a point where that experience can be just as strong as that, that, that in real life experience that people have. And we already have generations of, of early fans and kids that are engrossed in these metaverse environments every single day of their lives, whether it be in Roblox and in Minecraft um, in, in Decentraland and other folks are jumping around to all these mobile games, Fortnite, et cetera we would be silly to think that it won't evolve to them wanting a similar experience as they look at the parallels between the sports they love and who they kind of have been shaped to become in real life based upon the technology and the trends that are available to them. So I'm not saying we're, we're diving in, but it's, it's doing the research to understand how we can scale and provide a really, really, really cool experience before we jump in. So we can start to engage that next level fan, that distant fan, that next generation of fan who's expecting, you know, more of a, a digital experience that's catered to their needs, uh, where they can contribute to it. Um, so that's that's next gen, next gen. Uh, but I think every sports team either is already thinking about it or should be thinking um, you know, very soon about how that can translate to the value prop they bring their fans if they ever step foot out of your menu. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's, um, it's interesting to say it's not diving in, but, but keeping an eye on that. And I think that's the, that's evident in the, uh, the strategy that you've taken with, uh, my cabs locker is, is not just saying, Hey, we do NFTs now. It's going right. Well, strategically, what are we trying to achieve here? And what are we trying to add in terms of value to our fans? And then what can we understand from them back in return? which is um, the big word that doesn't seem to be applied a lot to this stuff is sustainability. And I don't mean environmental sustainability. That's obviously got a lot of um, you know, question marks around that and people are working on that. And that is something that I think will be solved, offset, whatever you want to call it. But more in, more in terms of sustainability of the community and the experience, is it, is it one of those things you put out a press release and then a couple of people will have a poke around and then it gets shut down in two years. So that's, um, that's, my two cents in terms of other sports teams or leagues looking to dive into the space is, is maybe don't dive, <laughs> at least not head first. <laughs> right. And, and be prepared. It takes work, right? You know, you, there's going to be a cross section of people within your organization that are going to have to commit to seeing this through in order for it to be successful. It, it doesn't launch and go out on autopilot. Right. So, uh, you know, we've got, um, you know, right around five or six team members that work on the platform for each drop that, that are either handling logistics around the marketing message, 
passing creative back and forth, hopping on calls with Sweet, uh, who's our marketplace, uh, you know, NFT provider, who, who've been great partners, by the way. They've been fantastic. Amazing animation team and designers, but we've got to come up with the concepts and ideas, and we have to deliver that to them. We have to work through the pricing and the scarcity models that we want to roll out. And I think it's important to do that because if you're not doing that, you're not learning and evolving as you're evolving your platform, and it's going to do exactly as you stated. It'll die a slow death on the stake after the press release comes and goes because this technology is so new, it's going to continue to evolve. And mm. you've got to evolve your platforms with that as you're starting to understand where the true value rests and how you can continue to take advantage of providing that value through the fan experience, whether it be the ticketed fan or the non-ticketed fan, as you build out the kind of next generation of uh, engagement tools for, for these individuals. Great. Well, that's, that's a great uh, note to end on. And before we let you go, Michael, uh, firstly, want to say thank you so much for your time and sharing expertise. Really interesting discussion. And that's um, one of the privileges that I have of hosting this is to be able to pick the brain of, um, of leaders in the industry like yourself. And then secondly, what is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Whoa. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's, it's a pleasure and an honour anytime. I think uh, I get to talk about what we do as an organisation and really I'm representing a, a really strong organisation in the Cavs and Rock Entertainment Group to, that allows us to, to do all these fun things and, and, and tell the stories, so, you know after we're experimenting and, and doing all these, these cool new things. But my favorite, you see, I'm delaying here. Yeah, I'm still trying to process in the back. You're, pat, you're patting, yeah. Well, what, just go with the gut. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's got to easily be the, the 2016 championship. Um, yeah. That, you know, I worked, I was working for the Cavs. Um, it had been 52 years since the city had won a championship dating back to the Browns and, you know, not a lot of folks were around to experience that and to, to watch the buildup and be there from when LeBron returned to seeing how the organization rebuilt the business and, um, you know, four straight years ago in the finals and on you your, know, uh, you know, being able to, to, to be a part of that experience, but then have that with my, uh, both my brothers were with me uh, for the final game, game seven. It's something that we share collectively and being able to celebrate together. So that, that selfishly is probably my favorite moment, but um, there's many others that, that uh, have been layered in there along the way that, that I can share maybe on a different podcast. How's that? There you go. Well, I, I mean, if I was, if I was a betting man, I would have taken that as your, as your option, <laughs> right. but, but that is, it's a good one. So, so why not? Well, thank you again, Michael. Really enjoyed the, the time today. And I would encourage all our listeners to go have a poke around My Caps Locker. We'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to have a look um, and just see how it's done. And um, that's also, with all this Web3 stuff, the, the easiest way to learn is by doing, is to just kind of immerse yourself in it. And and uh, yeah, you don't have to spend a lot of money to, to at least to kind of get your hands on it and, and get a feel for it and be a part of this new community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me and uh, you know, folks, thanks for being curious and listening to the podcast and, and jumping in and thinking about NFTs.